We return this morning to Matthew chapter 10. We are towards the end of the chapter, verses 40 to 42. Matthew 10, 40 to 42. The Lord Jesus said, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Christ otherwise said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To receive Christ is to receive God the Father. Verse 41, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily, I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Heavenly Father, we are glad this morning to come to this concluding principle Lord's instruction, first and foremost, to his apostles. And we pray today that you would, by the Spirit of God who prompted Matthew to write these words, that by that same Holy Spirit you would cause there to be within us understanding and embrace of the truth of the words of Christ on this occasion. We are very mindful having recently worked our way through the book of Hebrews, that you ultimately respond to the faith that is in the heart of an individual, requiring that those who come to you come with faith, not only believing that you exist, but believing that you are the rewarder of those that diligently seek thee. We come this morning to a passage of scripture that speaks much of the potential of reward. And we pray that you would cement in our thinking, even as we begin, that in order for such a reward to be received, not only must there be a rewarder, but that you are the great rewarder of the responsive soul to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us then to be a thinking people for your glory today and a responsive people, we would pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Last week, one of the items featured in the news was when two NYPD officers were assaulted in the city by a gang of young men without consequence. 
Elisha, God's prophet, was only a short time into his prophetic ministry when he attempted to go from Jericho to Bethel. 2 Kings chapter 2 records that shortly after his trip began, he was surrounded by a gang of nefarious young men who taunted him, cursed him, hassled him, and prevented his way forward. Elisha rebuked the gang of young men in the name of the Lord, and thereafter two she-bears came out of the woods killing 42 gang members. You do not want to mess with one of God's servants. For God takes personal your response to them as your response to him. There is no such thing as violating the truth as it resides in any person without divine consequence. Now today, I'm happy to tell you that we're going to work with the positive side of that connection between God and his servants, as is spoken by our Lord, Matthew 10, 40 to 42. With 40 to 42, we come to the end of that red letter section wherein our Lord instructs his servants, his disciples. This instruction is precisely in the scripture bookend by the aspect of a moment in time. The commission of the 12 apostles is the unique moment in time that we are brought insight towards in this particular red letter section of the word of God. If you look back at chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And when he, Jesus, had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then shortly after naming those twelve servants of Christ as selected by Christ, in that moment of time, you have beginning at verse 5, the red letter section of instruction to those apostles. Furthermore, in chapter 11 and verse 1, you have these words, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Uh, 10.1 introduces the Lord's specific words of instruction, and 11.1 tells you of those instructions' conclusion. Now, we note this because of the truth that any selected portion of Scripture has only one legitimate interpretation, only one legitimate meaning. The Bible cannot mean to me something it means differently to you. 
or one of us doesn't understand the Bible. God does not stutter. Uh, God is not vague. And when God communicates, he communicates clearly. And we believe that you and I have responsibility before God to study, to show ourselves workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Therefore, when we speak or study or read any scripture, we ought to be paying attention to its context. One legitimate interpretation with admittedly many, many prongs of righteous application. Now what Jesus said here in these instructions, he said first and foremost to the 12. Those men that were selected for apostolic service and the offer of the kingdom to the nation of Israel as Matthew renders it in here, Matthew chapter 10. We interpret the passage with their first century calling and their first century commission in view. But we can and we should apply these instructions to all the followers of Christ even as Jesus himself has indicated time and again. The straightforward communication of the Lord Jesus to the Twelve is anything but candy-coated. In no uncertain terms, Jesus lays out the resistance and the pushback that is going to come towards his servants, uh, that they should expect, as it were, pushback and resistance in serving him. Serving Christ will never be a cakewalk. Uh, he demands from his followers love and loyalty second to none. They have been loved with an everlasting love, and they are to love Christ in return. He expects his own to understand and to choose the eternal things of value over earthly, temporal values. Oh, how different our lives would be if we consistently chose the things of eternal value over the things of temporal value. The Lord's final instructive principle set forth before us here at the end of the red letter section is, uh, is just most blessed. It is a blessing, blessing, blessing to read these words and understand them, if you know the Lord, and especially if you are exercising yourself to serve the Lord with a whole heart. These words speak of the intimate connection and the intimate association between King Jesus and his servants. This intimate connection, this intimate association fosters courage and stirs up holy ambition in the ones that perceive this is meant for them. We learn that there is, as my dead buddy Spurgeon called it, a blessed union and a hallowed communion existing between the Lord Jesus and those that follow him, those that serve him. Having previously addressed the way the Lord identifies with and defends his servants, 
when they are resisted or abused. Now, at the end of the instructions, we get to see the upside of reception and reward. Herein is confirmation that not everybody will reject and resist the truth of the Savior, nor resist and reject uh, the truth as brought by the Savior's servants. Those that receive him are indeed to be duly rewarded by him. God, by grace, has appointed some to repentance and faith, and the faithful laborer is therein to know that there will be some success, that there will be in the labor of Christ uh, fruit for the labor whenever faithfully rendered as unto the Lord. Now, it's not too hard to pick up on the exegetical keys in this particular passage, for you have the word receive found four times in verse 40 and four more times in verse 41, along with the word reward found twice in verse 41 and once more in verse 42 six of the eight times that the word receive is seen, it comes from the Greek word meaning welcome or kindly hospitality in the sense of we're going to have a reception after a wedding and it's going to be fun. We're not going to have a reception so that God's people might gather to fight. We're going to have a reception so that people can gather for fellowship, so that there can be a sense of welcome, so that there can be a sense of kindly hospitality. Six of eight times the word receive is found. That's the word. Twice, another word is used with the meaning to take in hand, or we might say to catch. Therefore, this text is about receiving and reward. It is about those who welcome the Lord's servants and the reward that they receive or catch from the king. Today we're going to tweak some rather familiar phrases that will help us to walk our way through this text. Number one, you cannot have one without the other. Verse 40, he that receiveth you, the you in that context being the 12 servants of the Lord as selected and appointed and instructed, he that receiveth you receiveth me, capital M, Christ. And he that receiveth me, Christ, receiveth him, that sent me, God the Father. Early in this set of instructions, the Lord told his servants what to do, and the Lord told his servants how to handle the inevitable rejection that they would encounter in communicating the gospel of the kingdom. If you look back just briefly to verses 14 and 15, 
you'll be reminded of a sense of that. Jesus said, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily, truly, the Greek word is amen, amen. Amen, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Rejecting the truth as brought by God's servants is indeed serious stuff. And God will not have it in the end. But here at the conclusion of the instructions, we have the blessed flip side. Jesus connects welcoming his servants to welcoming him. And of course, welcoming him is to welcome God the Father. You cannot have one member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. You cannot have one member of the triune Godhead without the other. That's why Jesus said, if you're interested, if you're interested in God the Father, you need to know there's only one way to know God the Father, and that is by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. John 14, 6. That is why we preach Christ and exalt Christ in the gatherings of God's people in this place. Because ultimately, the only way that any man, any woman, any teen, any child can come to know and receive God's blessing is through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so we preach Christ. When we recently worked our way through Hebrews, uh, we covered an off, misunderstood text where reference was made to entertaining angels unaware. Remember some of that? Well, that reference to angels may well mean uh, created spirit beings that serve before the throne of God and do his bidding among the saints. We said when we were studying that section in Hebrews uh, 13, uh, we said that it is more likely uh, that the word angels, which means messengers, uh, that that word for angel in Hebrews 13 is reference, means, and refers to God's faithful human servants among his people. Indeed, that is the plain meaning of the term angels as used in Revelation 2 and 3, referring to pastors who are serving the seven named churches in Asia Minor. Jesus told his followers, and especially the 12, as indicated by the pronoun you in verse 40, that response to his servants and followers is taken very personally by God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen, the person that is rightly responsive to the servant of God 
as sent entertains God unaware. That's what Jesus said. That when you give ear, when you give mind and heart to the truth as brought to you by a servant of God, you entertain God himself. You welcome. You receive with kindly hospitality God himself. You cannot receive one without the other. The welcome you provide any servant of God sent to you is your response to God above. And so I dust off again that oft-repeated illustration, but if I were to say to James Zare, Sherry and I would like to meet you for dinner, but please, James, don't bring Emily because I can't stand her. James, who is married to Emily, would rightly refuse me, and God helping him, rebuke me. Because when it comes to a marriage, you can't have one without the other. And if you're the mother-in-law, listen to that. If you're the father-in-law, listen to that. Because when it comes to marriage, you can't have one without the other. And even if you write that other one off, and you say, oh, she, oh, he. Well, you can, you can come to any conclusion you want, but God is God. He honors the lines and categories of authority as he established them, and you may well be suffering because of your lacking response to the people that God has given to you in your own life. Listen, there is a blessed and dynamic union. There is a blessed and dynamic communion between the king of glory and his servants that cannot be separated in regard to response. This is truth. This is truth unto special courage and holy ambition for all those that serve the Lord. We think of those that serve as pastors and missionaries in our day. Why, this is, this is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. Can you imagine what might go through the mind of a missionary uh, who is faithfully laboring on, a, uh, uh, on the mission field if instead of writing the same old verse you always write uh, when you uh, sign your name or send your letter, if you were to write Matthew 10, 40 at the bottom of your little note to the missionary, he that receiveth you receiveth Christ. And the one that receives Christ receives God the Father. Can you think of a more succinct encouragement to a faithful missionary than Matthew chapter 10? In verse 40, what a blessing comes into the life of the person who responds rightly by receiving the servant of the Lord. Number two, if you are not first chair, 
in God's symphony of salvation. If you are not first chair in God's orchestra, you can really enjoy being second fiddle. The next element of truth concerning the blessed union and communion between Christ and his people is expanded upon uh, in regards to the principle of reward. Verse 41 again, he that receiveth a prophet and a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Biblically, godly women cannot serve in a local church as a pastor. But according to verse 41, a godly woman can receive a pastoral reward. A godly woman cannot serve as a pastor because of creation design, man the head, woman the helper. But indeed, godly women can receive a pastoral reward for receiving, welcoming the truth that is brought to her from God's servant, a pastor. Every follower of Christ in that day was not called and gifted of God to serve as an official representative of the kingdom offer to the nation of Israel, as were those 12 named men, Matthew 10. Likewise, not every disciple of Christ today is gifted for service an official position of the local church. Yet Jesus clearly says that available to all his followers is the height of God's reward. This morning, I am not talking to you about guilt by association. I am talking to you about gladness by association. Those that rightly remember and relate in kindness to those that have rule over them and speak to them the word of God and follow their faith, those that esteem them highly in love, for their work's sake, and live in peace, receive the same reward as the faithful local church leader. Hebrews 13, 7, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. Herschel Hobbes says this, God's gratuities are given on the basis of faithfulness to one's own sphere. Once again, God's gratuities, God's rewards are given on the basis of faithfulness to one's own sphere. 
How often do we say, oh God, I can't talk like that. I can't play like that. I can't sing like that. I can't do like that. Knock it off. If God has not given you that, whatever he's given you is enough for you to serve him. And his rewards are given based upon your faithfulness to your own sphere as assigned. How many men don't teach their own children but would love to teach in the church? How many women chase the children of others who do not represent godliness before their own? Listen, God rewards are based upon faithfulness to one's own sphere. I've been thinking a lot about that chair thing. The uh, first chair trombonist at, uh, at the college in Canton, Ohio, is my grandson, Ezra. The first chair saxophone player uh, in the Maslin Tiger Swing Band in uh, Maslin, Ohio, is my granddaughter, Hannah. Uh, they both operate as first chair. I, I don't know what chair you think you're in. I know for a fact I'm not in first chair. I listened last night to a couple of great preachers interacting uh, concerning the aspect of the day in which we live. And I couldn't help but think of both of those godly men and listening to them uh, that, wow, uh, their, their sense of knowledge, their command of scripture, uh, their heart for God and his people is just absolutely uh, unbelievable. I'm sure they're in a chair higher than I'm in. But here, uh, I would call your attention uh, to the Lord's descending scale as evident in the words in both 41 and 42. Jesus said, if you receive, if you welcome, if you catch the truth of a faithful prophet, you will receive of God a prophet's reward. Jesus said, if you receive or welcome or catch the truth of a righteous person, you will receive of God a righteous person's reward. And though we haven't read verse 42 yet again, the pattern holds true for even a common follower or disciple of Christ as seen in verse 42, in God's symphony of salvation, in God's orchestra, second chair, third chair, fourth chair, fifth chair, all can receive first chair honors and award. You and I ought to trust the divine conductor and get playing. Do I consider myself in first chair? No. If you were in the uh, Corinthian study uh, uh, last uh, uh, Wednesday night, uh, or I guess maybe two Wednesday nights ago, uh, you know from 1 Corinthians 12 uh, that the best gift given to the church is the Lord's apostles, that the second uh, gift given to the church are prophets, and that the third gift uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 are teachers. And uh, I, can, uh, I can certainly envision myself in that third chair uh, reality as Paul spoke of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But nonetheless, uh, uh, when I think about God's symphony of 
of salvation. When I think about God's orchestra, I, I know certainly I'm not in first chair. That would be Christ and his apostles. Uh, probably not second chair. Uh, maybe not even third chair. But here's my point. I have a chair. And when God is the conductor, if you got a chair, then you're not only in the orchestra, you will receive of God reward based upon the welcome, the kindness of hospitality in your heart for God's people and servants. There's not a band in the land that offers that kind of equality. Not first chair, but I got a chair. I hope you know you're not first chair, but I hope that you know you got a chair in God's symphony of salvation, in God's orchestra of praise. And then the last thing this morning an old, worn-out phrase, but nonetheless, the words of Christ confirm it. Little is much when God is in it. Verse 42, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily, I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Again, I give you the words of Herschel Hobbes. The humblest deed done in the name or for the sake of a disciple of Jesus is emblazoned in the boxcar letters across the headlines of heaven. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one shall receive his own reward. 1 Corinthians 3.8 This principle of recognition and reward for every right response before God is cemented by the Lord's use of the word verily. Verse 42, which again is the Greek word amen, meaning for sure and without doubt. Here then is a single sentence that summarizes this sermon. Whom you do receive determines what you will receive from God. Whom you do receive determines what you will receive from God. And so we say, above all, receive Christ. Receive Christ, his prophets, his servants, his righteous ones, his disciples. And your reward from God will be much. Because little is much when God is in it. Now the most well-known Bible verse on reception 
would, of course, probably be those two verses in John 1, 11 and 12. Speaking of Christ, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so again we say, receive Christ you might become one of those sons of God. But if you are a son of God by faith in Christ, then know this. There's no such thing as a righteous response in your life that God will overlook or ignore. Last Sunday night, the outcome of the Detroit Lions football game would have been dramatically different if a player who holds a position on the team, a position called receiver, actually would have caught either of the two passes thrown to him in the crucial moments of that game. He was called receiver, but he did not. This morning, I want to say to you, be a real receiver. I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about the truth of God. Catch. Catch. That which God has thrown your way. Bow down before him. Love and adore him. His name is wonderful. Oh God, help us this morning to be a responsive people to your glory, exalting the blessing, the wonderfulness of thy holy name. Thank you for Christ, our Savior, our Shepherd. Help us to be responsive as we ought to him in honor, in glory, in love, in adoration. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.